Hello, and welcome to another episode of Razor Deploy. Today, I sit down with Guillaume and Hussam of Corporate Treasury 101, the podcast and newsletter. They both have incredible experience on the finance and treasury side of the business, as well as the podcasting and content side. We talk about their journey, what they've seen in the space, and what corporate treasurers need to think about to run an efficient financial operation within a globalizing, interconnected world. Let's get into it. Good morning, good afternoon, hello. Uh, today we have uh, Guillaume and Hassam from Corporate Treasury 101, the podcast and the newsletter. Corporate Treasury 101 is a platform with the aim to educate people on all things corporate treasury. We got in touch with them after re- reading their article. Diago was actually featured on an AI in Treasury newsletter that they produce. We're very lucky to be speaking with them today. They have over 150 podcast episodes. They've spoken to treasurers across every single corner of the world. And we're going to be talking about how cash is king, how treasury managers' roles have evolved, uh, how it dovetails into investment. So we've got a lot to unpack here. Uh, so welcome. Welcome, Guy and Hassam. Hey, Ashley. Hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having us. Nice to be here, Ashley. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's get straight into it. What would your basic definition of corporate treasury be? Yeah, so that's uh, that's an interesting one. So we started with that, our very first episode. So on our own podcast is what is corporate treasury? So I'm going to try to remember what I said back then uh, with a little bit of refinement after uh, one year and a half. But so the way we see corporate treasury is obviously there is corporate in it. So we are talking mostly about big companies, usually around the 1 billion euros revenue plus um, like be big enough to have a treasury department. But before that, you have like treasury task, but not necessarily a treasury department. So corporate treasury, it's mainly managing the cash and the financial risk of a company. Now, that doesn't tell you a lot, right? So the way we put it in our first episode was the four pillars of corporate treasury. Uh, The way we see this is um, corporate treasury is about cash management, financial risk management, corporate finance, and uh, relationship. At first, it was bank relationship, but we have a bit more in there. So, and to give a quick definition of each of those areas, so cash management, we are typically looking at, it's the role of the treasurer to know how much cash the group has. And that means in a multinational company that is a little bit everywhere, right? Um, Have accounts in 40 countries and so on. It's the role of the treasurer to know, okay, throughout all my subsidiaries, this is how much cash I have right now. And it's also the role of the treasurer to be able to foresee what are the upcoming obligations and uh, what's the upcoming revenues we're going to get and then manage that cash, make sure it's safe, make sure it's invested properly to get proper returns on it and uh, make sure it can support the business. Overall, the role of the treasury will be that, support the business. We will see later on that there are ways that treasury can be a strategic partner, but that's, that's the main function. Then when we look at financial risk management, and I think that's uh, where you'll have quite some insights as well, Ashley, um, we see two main financial risks that are managed by treasurers. It will be interest rates risk, um, and it's quite a topical uh, subject that we might touch upon a little bit later on this episode, and financial risk management, but focused on the foreign exchange risk. So all the risk linked to the currency management, financial, uh, sorry, foreign exchange uh, risk management. If you have a currency that devaluates, how does it impact your business? Should you take measures against it? And so on and so forth. Uh, For the third pillar, corporate finance, here we find everything uh, debt and capital structuring. Like on the long-term plan, how can the treasurer help saying, okay, we're going to need cash for those big projects that we have within the company. 
this is how uh, we should structure our debt. This is how we should structure our capital and help manage all this. And then within corporate finance, you also have many other topics, such as trade finance, which is a, an interesting one. And last but not least, um, for us, at least at Corporate Online, the fourth pillar would be relationships. We first call it banking uh, and bank relationship management, but it goes far beyond that, I would say. There is the banking aspect, of course, so treasurers talk every week, if not every day, to banking partners, say, hey, where is my cash? How should I invest it properly? Do you have any solutions? How do you propose me in terms of FX uh, risk management and so on and so forth? But beyond that, there is uh, also the counterparty risk management, so talking to the ratings agencies, for instance, uh, talking to system vendors, hey, I need a new system, or how do I improve the management of my cash and the overall financial risk management within my company through uh, the systemization and technology. So that will be the four pillars uh, that we see in corporate jewelry. That was a bit of a long definition, uh, not that no. much basic. No, thank you, Guillaume. That's, that's perfect. And let's bring in Sam here um, to kind of go into a little bit more detail as to why this is important and and who this should be aimed at. Treasury, I mean, as Guillaume mentioned, it, it's seen as a support function, but it goes from all the way from your local mom and pop shop that needs to make sure that am I getting paid by my customers and my consumers in time to be able to pay my bills, pay back the interest on my loans, uh, pay off you know my staff and whatnot. So there's the basics of treasury apply even at that level, just to make sure that I have the cash available to be able to meet my financial obligations. But as the company scales, it just gets exponentially more important. So that goes from managing, just paying your wages to um, am I paying my entire supply chain? Am I paying my suppliers on time? Am I getting money from my customers on time? And that complexity only rises as you get bigger and bigger. And then when we move to the international scale, that complexity just goes through the roof. Then you're worried about FX rates uh, impacting every single transaction that you do. Uh, then you're worried about interest rates in different countries and that how that impacts things that you do. Then you worry about banking partners in different jurisdictions, in different countries with different FX rates and different interest rates. So the complexity just gets exponentially bigger the more complex your business gets, largely. And um, so definitely, and Gil mentioned at the start, corporate treasury departments, we only see forming in companies as they hit that billion plus mark per year. Um, but treasury operations, which maybe sit with the CFO any earlier on that, exist across the board. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed, uh, you know, I'm a small multinational corporation from day one, fully remote, 25 people in 25 different locations. We think about uh, currency as a company ourselves. We had to from day one, but we're also building out international banking uh, networks ourselves for our clients. And there isn't one bank that can do absolutely everything. Not even HSBC has an account in Brazil that we can access for one of our clients that's based in Brazil that also has an office in the UK. So this, these different kind of pockets and channels and um, multiple banking relationships that needs to be managed. Uh, and that is on a small, you know, like you said, mom and pop shop now is is global from day one. So a lot of different aspects to building out your service providers. And obviously, you know, technology is is only able to help so much there. Uh, that's great. Guy, this one's for you again. Um, what has been the evolution of Treasury Function over the last few years? I'd, I'd love to kind of down into a little bit more detail around how you kind of seen the Treasury Department evolve, especially taking into consideration uh, this new interest rate environment that you spoke of earlier. Yeah, 100%. So here, um, it's interesting. We have, we have two perspectives to share. So the first one is, 
the, the consulting experience that I've built over the, the last uh, two years and a half, but also all the people that we have interviewed through our podcast. And we actually hear from them uh, what's going on. And we hear the evolution and how their role has evolved and the new responsibilities and the thing they had to uh, discard because no time for it or not that relevant. Uh, but so starting, starting with, for sure, the financial risk aspect, the one you mentioned, we have seen in the last year and a half now, maybe two years, depending on when this episode goes live, the rise of interest rates and, and FX, and sorry, currency, the fluctuation between currencies, the inflation and the rise of the interest rates. And that has huge impacts for a corporation because even a 1% inflation on your interest rate, for instance, when you have billions of debt, that's a lot of money at the end of the year that you need to manage. So that's one of the super interesting aspects that treasurers have been going through a decade, if not more, of uh, flat interest rates. So nothing was moving a lot. And all of a sudden, you have this um, COVID-19 pandemic crisis where you have lots and lots of liquidity on the market. And then this and other stuff, obviously, impacting, you have the inflation going on. So central banks have to rise interest rates. And all of a sudden, those group treasurers need to manage that. And like they need to make sure that they will still be able to pay off their debt. And if you have a rolling debt, it can be much more expensive to renew it uh, rather than just continuing or trying to find other uh, means of funding your company. So that's one of the main aspects that we've seen and uh, from the people who have talked to us. It's like, yeah, we see this from a banking perspective, uh, from a group treasurer perspective, and from a system vendor perspective. Like You need a clearer visibility on your cash, a clearer visibility on your cash flow forecasting, and where you're going to try and find these pockets of cash, working capital. How can you optimize all this in order to achieve um, what the group treasurer should be doing? The second one we've seen is the role of a treasurer. Uh, so we mentioned earlier that's mainly seen as a support function, which is the case. A group treasurer is here to support the business, right? But with this specific environment that we're in right now, rising interest rates, inflation, cash is getting scarce. The group treasurer role is getting more and more strategic um, in, in all aspects, financial risk management, but also the cash, obviously. And the last one I'd like to mention is the evolution of the technology. Now, um, departments, companies are saying, okay, treasury plays a crucial role here. Not that because it will make us earn money, but it will avoid us on losing a lot on an FX risk or on an interest rate risk. So how do we allow those teams and allow those uh, departments to do their job in the best way possible? Through technology. And therefore, you have this uh, new system that I've been developing here. There are huge focus on the treasury function and budget offering as well. Like, okay, we need to support treasury for them to have the proper business in order to foresee those kind of events and manage it in the best way. Um, and the last aspect I'd like to mention is uh, the difference between the different countries. The main one, the one that we hear about the most, is uh, the difference of, of the group treasury between the US and Europe. And that's a super interesting one because, well, the, the US obviously big place in the world, lots of cash within the companies. So the group treasurer, who is the custodian of cash, as our friend Mike Richard would say, has a big role there because there is so much money to manage. So you often see group treasurers in the US having a VP uh, title, whereas in Europe, it's it's much it's much more rare. You might have a director, uh, but VP is, is something that group treasurers like, don't achieve yet in Europe, but it's changing though. So that's that's one interesting aspect. Um, and then all the differences between the countries, obviously, when you go in Latin America or any countries or region where you have restricted currencies, you need to manage your FX risk, your cash, everything differently than in US when it's more of a free market, semi in Europe, and so on and so forth. So that's why I'd say the, the treasury function has evolved over the last years. Lots and lots of going on. 
and definitely an upskilling in all those aspects and in the technology landscape as well. Really, really interesting. I and mean, you, you touched upon technology. Maybe I'll bring uh, Hassam in uh, for this this part um, of the conversation. Uh, for me, I've seen different, especially emerging markets, have to adopt technology quicker and sooner as they grow. Uh, we talked a little bit about the types of you know the poster chars, the big corporations with all the cash, and they have access to pretty much everything they want, as well as very sophisticated teams. Sam, is there anything that you can kind of add around? Um, how these other regions um, and maybe even smaller companies as well on top of that are adopting technologies and kind of closing the gap? Yeah, it's super interesting when you talk about regions. I mean, I think as you mentioned, like the US, although they have a lot more cash, they're also a little bit spoiled in a lot of ways because the US dollar is the reserve currency of the world and most business is done in US and being the largest GDP uh, economy in the world. So US at least what we've seen from our conversations. A lot of people that we see in treasurers and treasury departments and companies based solely in the US especially are a little bit further behind on the complexity that they need to manage because they can just operate in dollars a lot of the time. They have one bank account, they have uh, federal banks, they have uh, regional banks. There's a bit of complexity there, sure. But other than that, they're a lot less in need of adopting those technologies to be able to manage perhaps the complexity that comes with being a company based in Brazil that's trying to do some business with the US, but is also trying to work a little bit with its Latin partners. And you have all these different complexities. We see this in Europe, even just looking at the euro versus the GBP versus the uh, some of the more Eastern European currencies that are going around there as well. And people are just having to uh, adapt and manage that complexity much better. So that's where technology really comes in. Um, and it's something that we've seen uh, companies based in perhaps Europe, Latin, Asia, uh, adopting a lot more technologies to be able to, to manage that. And those technologies could be uh, having uh, TMSs, which are uh, have much better add-ons that are FX-related or interest rate-related or have better bank connectivity across different regions, which is a really interesting complexity thing that we've heard from a lot of different people is that just being able to connect the different banks to come into your ERP or to come into your company, it's just a huge headache and, and something that a lot of companies are trying to solve and a lot of great technology providers are out there trying to build universal APIs that are that are trying to solve that problem. As you operate in a business that operates in more jurisdictions, in more currencies, in more industries even, the technology you need to be able to manage that complexity just goes up and up and up. And like I said, we've seen that with the rise of fintechs, really in all these niche areas where before everyone had SAP, everyone big, they just had SAP, or they had uh, Oracle, or they had all these uh, tools that were just generic and, and nice and big. And now you see the rise of these very customized uh, fintechs that are like you build almost a treasury stack. You start stacking all these different technologies together, one for your FX, one for your cash flow forecasting, one for a bit of capital, uh, working capital management that just fits your unique needs. Uh, because we operate in such a more globalized economy with so many niche fringe scenarios that the big players just can't offer to everyone. So that's something that we've really seen a lot, the rise of these really niche fintechs that are all working together with APIs and open banking to be able to integrate into each other in a seamless way to then opt for then companies to be able to build for themselves a very custom technology offering to meet their needs. And uh, there's so much to unpack there, some really interesting points. I mean, I'm going to start with what you said about the banking piece. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, what we've seen in particular with the uh, the regional players is a 
push for retail clients first. Right. So what you end up getting is these, you know, from Brazil, in my opinion, that's done an incredible job with digital banking and they are leading the way. But again, that's retail banking, right? So you now have 11 million um, clients in, in Brazil utilizing these digital bank accounts, could go up to 100 million, 200 million, but they're now starting to expect these types of services at their corporate level and no one's really focusing on that. Uh, and it's a lot harder to go upstream uh, to a corporate and to a fund manager. Uh, than it is to go down, in my opinion. But it's going to be really interesting to see the, the demand on these fintechs or these digital banks to be able to service them from a corporate level. I think that's going to be a really interesting piece and something that's that's missing. Another thing that you mentioned about this stacking opportunity, we've talked about it as well, comes with the banking. You know, which which bank account has which amount of money in? Uh, is it a different bank? Is it a digital bank? Is it a broker firm with a you know multi currency wallet? It's in Bitcoin or a or a stable coin, right? How do we bring all of those balances together and actually make actionable insights to the to the treasurer or to the treasury team or to the to the finance team or to the CEO or to the stakeholders, right? And this is where your article on AI was so powerful because you can really see now ways in which we can not only extract this information from all the different sources and technology stacks that we're utilizing, but give it to consumers of that information in an, a really elegant way. Uh, something that's, in my opinion, the most exciting thing for me with this technology and what we're really looking to try and bring to our clients um, in particular around the reporting functions and what LLMs can do for us there. But to kind of come back to the um, to the conversation, you mentioned a couple of things. I think it was you were talking about uh, cash and deposit. The corporates, it seems to be dwindling, right? So your VCs, your banks, they're not lending as much out. They're not um, investing as much and they're certainly not doing it at the valuations that we saw before. So at the corporate level, uh, there is a potential for dry powder or working capital to dry up. However, on the flip side of that, we've got VCs, private equity firms that are set on more cash than ever before. You mentioned in, in one of your, your articles and one of your podcasts that cash is always going to be king. I think it's a common theme that we see throughout recessions. Hassam, uh, why is it re- relevant in particular to treasury today? You mentioned earlier, the, the treasurers, the treasury department is the custodian of cash. The responsibility is to make sure that the company has cash when it needs the cash and the excess cash that it has, how do we manage it uh, in the best way possible? Cash is king is like this, this term that just gets thrown around everywhere and everyone's heard it. But uh, the key thing that we've speaking to, you know, having done 150 episodes on our podcast is that cash was always king, but as time goes along, cash is getting more and more important because of all the things that you mentioned there. Interest rates have gone up. So borrowing is way more expensive than it was pre-pandemic, for example, right? So that's making companies look internally to realize, hey, look, we noticed that in our subsidiary in the US, we're cash flush. We also have a lot of cash there. And in Europe, we're, we're always borrowing because we can't, you know, our we have a negative cash flow on our on our treasury, meaning that the money's coming in after it goes out. Uh, so we need to bridge that gap. Then it comes to the treasury department to say, look, well, can we do some sort of cash pooling here? Can we uh, be able to use the cash that we have in the US and lend it to ourselves in Europe and then save on those interest rates? And how can we work that better? And in a world where borrowing cash is getting more and more important, the value of that to a company and the the concept of a treasury function, not just being for support, but as a cost saving center 
has become incredibly important over the last, let's say, decade, but especially so over the last five years. So cash is king is, is always relevant, but in a world where interest rates are high, uh, VCs are giving out less and less money, and uh, we need to start looking at the opportunities of self-financing, being able to manage your liquidity just becomes exponentially more important as time goes on, and that role sits with the treasurer as the custodian of cash. Am I investing it everywhere I need to? Can it be more liquid more quickly? Um, is it giving me the returns that I need if it's not liquid? Because you know my banks are going to give me much better interest rates on my savings now than they were before. So should I be relooking at how I'm saving my money and where I'm saving it? Especially also, I mean, it's it's died down a little bit now, but the conversations we were having about six months ago. Uh, when two major banks globally and internationally failed, and in the US, a couple more regional banks failed, all the treasurers went into panic, all the companies went into panic. Are we managing our cash properly? Is the bank that we're with going to fail? Should we diversify better? And if you look at the Silicon Valley bank example, everyone in Silicon Valley was banking there, and that's the only place they were banking. And all of a sudden, they couldn't withdraw above X amount. That sent all the treasurers globally into a spiral thinking, well, am I doing my banking correctly? Should I be managing my cash better as well? So it's becoming incredibly relevant in the current economic climate. And treasurers are really seeing the rise of the treasury function, yet not just for support, but in the role of a strategic partner and also the cost-saving partner as well for the company in saving how you're borrowing and, and where you're spending your money in order to get that, that liquidity. Yeah, I, I want to double-click on something you said, and maybe I'll open uh, this back up to, 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 to Guy. You mentioned... What happened with Silicon Valley Bank? I think everyone became an expert in 15 minutes too late uh, when that happened, right? You see all of these uh, these new banks and what they've been doing with your cash, which you thought was absolutely safe, right? And it turns out that it ne not necessarily is. So you really do have to have a look at yourself. Now, one of the things that you know I found is that we have you know fund managers in particular that are managing billions of dollars worth of of capital, but with very lean teams that, and ultimately working with maybe one or two banks that they've selected or inherited because they, you know, that's the bank that they've decided to choose and personal bank with or whatever it may be, right? They're not international, they're domestic. And all of a sudden now they're being told that their money's not safe. Gee, what should these, these fund managers in particular be thinking about um, and maybe borrowing from uh, more sophisticated corporate uh, treasury teams or finance teams? So that's super interesting here, actually. Um, so obviously, our expertise is more towards corporate treasury, right? So the investment and borrowing from the corporate perspective. But I think there are great lessons there to answer your question for the fund investors and how they also can borrow money from the corporates or vice versa. So, and Hussam touched upon it perfectly earlier. It's like the function of the treasurer when it comes to cash investments is like in order of priority, starting with capital safety. You cannot risk the money of the corporate. The idea is even if you have a very low and small yield on it, when you invest it, it's better than losing any of it. So that's really, as Hussam mentioned, corporate users are really risk averse and at least by, their, by the nature of their function. So they need to look at cash they invest in that specific order. Capital safety, liquidity, like they need to be able to support the business at any time, right? And ensure the liquidity. And then you look at the yield. Why am I highlighting this? There are great lessons here for the for the fund investors. Obviously, a VC's point is more to take small risk and calculated risk to get more money out of it, right? But 
that will be the same way companies look at uh, borrowing their money. Like, are my counterparties safe? Like, will they be able to support me when I will unlock parts of this pocket of cash that I have in my revolving credit facility, for instance? Um, will it be liquid? Does it take me 24 hours to unlock funds or does it take one week? And last but not least, what's the cost of it? And again, back to the point of Usam. Now the cash is much more expensive. So corporates are being much more cautious about how they employ it and how they leverage the cash they have available through the different debts and, and capital structures. So back to your question, Ashley, on the, on the investors. I think there are great lessons here because we can learn from how the group treasurer needs to act on a daily basis. Um, and we can learn those lessons and apply them in the current environment where everything is so much more risky. Yes, you have potential higher yields. And it's also interesting to see this from a corporate perspective where the weighted cost, uh, the weighted average cost of capital, when you look at how much an investment within your own company should bring you when you compare it with the current interest rate, must be much higher, right? Because if it's like 5% interest rate on a very safe uh, investment, you might as well just do this kind of short-term deposits. So this is where I think the, the play and the lesson from the group tutorial could be interesting. But maybe back to you, Ashley. What's actually your take on it? Like, how should investors look at that and uh, manage this kind of situations? So it's a really in important point. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on the fund managers uh, right now to deploy the capital uh, at more uh, realistic valuations. Obviously, that comes with issues, right? Um, because you know the the CEOs, the boards, they don't want to write down that loss. Uh, or give up more equity, you know, equity than, they, than they need to, or dilute themselves more than they need to. So there's going to be this mismatch, I think, between you know how people uh, perceive their valuations and what their valuation should be. One of the things that comes up quite a lot is when you've actually made these investments, you've given the liquidity to a, a company, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, but one of the things that really I see a lot of is they've now given this liquidity, they've given this um, working capital, and whose responsibility is it now to manage the valuation risk that we're now seeing? So what do I mean by that? When the investment, let's say it's a US manager investing in a European company, now they have a euro asset that they can't actually hedge. So they can't protect the euro exit value of that until right towards the end of the hold. Uh, why? Because they don't have the liquidity to post marginal collateral to actually um, offset that euro dollar uh, contract should it go out of the money. So what we've seen is a push towards the portfolio companies to start thinking about balance sheet hedging. Another topic for another day. But we do think that following the liquidity is really important. And again, with the cost of uh, capital being so high, it might be that the corporate can't place those balance sheet hedges themselves anymore. So they need help. And where do they get that help? The banks are tightening up their their margin facilities. Um, you know, collateral drag is going to uh, really affect the returns of the investment manager. So there is this lack of liquidity that's occurring just at the foreign currency level and the hedging level that is going to be crippling, which then puts into perspective that you've got this volatile currency market, high interest rates, which makes everything more expensive. So, you know, where does it end? I mean, people want to hedge, but will they actually be able to hedge is going to be really, really interesting to kind of see. So we see that a lot right now as kind of, you know, following where the liquidity is and this proverbial buck of who should be hedging and where where that liquidity is um, often is the one where the buck, st the buck stops at eventually. I'm going to move on 
um, from this because we talked a lot about the complexities of of uh, hedging and also uh, just treasury uh, management in general. Technology is improving. We touched upon it earlier around how I see AI intersecting. We know that Sam, that, that article that you wrote and de- double clicked into this a little bit, but talk about how you've seen technology in particular improve. And if you have time as well, I'd like to go into kind of where you've seen developments going. Yeah, it's a super interesting space. So I, I think the fundamental message around how, especially in treasury and and I think across the board in, in technology has been moving is that things are becoming a lot more, let's say, unbundled, right? And it's the unbundling of the technology stack, which is incredibly interesting. You don't have these, again, behemoth suppliers that are building uh, generic tools that meet 80% of needs, 70% of needs, and also like boxing companies into dealing with their cash, dealing with their finances in a certain way as well. The embodiment of technology stack has largely come from the invention of technology such as APIs. APIs being simple, uh, let's say, communication protocols that allow one software to talk with another. What that allows you to do is to have multiple softwares. Before that, you had to sort of integrate everything in one solution. And then if it wasn't in that solution, these bolt-ons was, was always very difficult. Now that we have this largely breakthrough technology of, of, uh, of APIs, we can now allow and open the market up to loads and loads of and startups, largely, building just niche, custom, really specialized solutions that worked amazingly well, not to be a little shameless here, but for example, Debo being dedicated into FX. Now any company can come in and implement a world-class FX solution onto whatever system that they're using, uh, along with side already system that they're using, along with all the benefits that come with that and whatnot. And that you're seeing that across the board. Cash flow management tools are a dime a dozen nowadays, and all of them giving really unique perspectives, different formats, different uh, dashboards, different ways of managing uh, things into them. Largely, again, APIs, building all of your different bank accounts into one view that you can then manage centrally as a CEO, CFO, treasurer. So integrations and uh, multiple partnerships and providers has really is the new landscape that we're seeing with technology across the board. The other thing we see with that in treasury specifically is that treasury departments are just getting bigger and having, again, now that they're no longer support functions and our cost-saving functions, budgets are being allocated there. What that's sort of unearthing is that um, a lot of the financial world is built on Excel. And Excel is not a bad tool at all. Excel is a great tool. And then the flexibility that Excel gives you and everything like that, definitely no need to bash it. But there's definitely some things that perhaps shouldn't be there and should be in a much more structured data flow point of view, a much better format for people to not be able to corrupt the files, for things to not crash, for interconnectivity between Excel is not the best. Everyone has experiences of their Excel's crashing because it's calling in other sheets, etc. And technology has, got some, has just gotten so much further. Now that we need to build out the treasury function and the cash management functions, we're sort of unearthing all these skeletons in the closet, not just on corporate sites, bank sites as well. Uh, we had a really interesting interview with some uh, with the, the father of, uh, uh, let's say, online mortgages uh, at one point. And he's like, well, I've seen inside a lot of banks and a lot of mortgages are built on Excel sheets. A lot of mortgage departments, a lot of very big players are built on Excel sheets, and it's a little bit scary as well. So overall, cloud computing has allowed us to be able to uh, centralize and have access to much stronger infrastructure, so you don't need the Excel. APIs have allowed us to interconnect different tools, 
I know I'm throwing a lot of buzzwords here, but all of these different technology platforms have really just changed how treasurers are looking at managing their financing and how the fundamental concept of, well, you can go out and build whatever you need by taking this mix and match of different partners and building the solution that you need. That's that's the fundamental of what we're seeing nowadays. Other than that, I mean, there's just a lot more education uh, around technology. Treasurers and CFOs are educated on what cloud computing is, what an API is, what a... Um, what AI is, right? That being, let's say, the end of the technology curve as it is today. We've seen a lot more uh, treasurers interested in this. The one part that perhaps they miss out and people forget a lot of the time is just the base infrastructure you need to be able to manage these tools. People think you can come in and just plug in with the world-class, the best and most fancy uh, with the best dashboard cash management tool, but their data infrastructure on the back end is just nowhere near set up and the data pipelines that they have to be able to feed all that in just isn't structured correctly yet. And then they go through a revamping of all the way that their data is structured, where it's stored, how people interact with it, et cetera, to then be able to get onto the roadmap to then be able to move up towards the advances that we see with everyone trying to get some sort of AI into their system nowadays. Yes. And so it's definitely uh, a lot there, but I would summarize it to really say we have all of these really unique specialized tools by all these really interesting startups. Treasurers and, and VCs and fund managers have the option to now go and build the tool that works best for them. As long as you have a good data infrastructure behind it, as long as you have the right principles in place in terms of security and flow and access management, you can really go and build whatever system you need to meet your specific needs nowadays, which just didn't exist 20 years ago. I love that. Um, something that you you mentioned right at the end of that is very uh, core to, to what we're building here. It's the why, right? At the end of the day, every um, treasury team or finance team has a need, yes, but they also need to know why they're asking for that information, right? What's the purpose of actually collecting this information? Why do they need all these banks around the world? Why are they implementing an FX hedging strategy? I think once they kind of get to, to that grips with that and realize that they are actually dictating a lot more of the actual healthiness of these businesses than they realized at the beginning, they then can start demanding more from their insights. And that's what they really start to to get when you go into ai you can actually get so much more out of it so it's okay well we've got this data we know um more about uh our operations we know more about uh the global um interest rate environment that we're in now so therefore let's take that information and actually do something useful with it and that's where technology is going to be in my opinion absolutely pivotal uh, and it's changed um you know these insights have become far more valuable and articulated in new and exciting ways. And I think that's the bit that's uh, very different, right? You now com can communicate with your your technology stack in a different way. It's not point and click. You don't need to necessarily be even a treasury management expert to be able to get treasury insights and actionable insights that you can turn into something extremely valuable that, uh, th that gets both internal and uh, external stakeholders excited i think that's the um the thing that i'm really like i said most uh, excited about where the technology is going to be going you guys have been doing this for a lot longer than i have um thank you so much for for, for joining us i've learned already so much from, from you guys just and the cadence and what you uh, what you do and uh, the questions that you ask 
But uh, what you what have you learned over the 150 episodes when talking to all these different uh, treasury managers, you know, CEOs, experts that you've spoken to? What are the key kind of takeaways? And maybe uh, Guy, you do three, and Hassan, you do three. What are your kind of main kind of points that you've learned? Sounds like a very good plan. So on my side, three interesting stuff that I've seen. Um, we've heard a lot from group treasurers themselves, right? So it's not that they are underselling themselves. It's just stating facts, right? Treasury by nature is a support function. That's, that's the common statement we hear. Um, although it's funny that it, it started coming up more and more, not since we've launched the podcast, people didn't wait for the proper Treasury 101 to start to say, hey, look, Treasury can be much more. But we've been talking to more and more CEOs, CTOs of system vendors, group treasurers, uh, bankers, and all of them agree on the same thing that the treasury function is shifting. And it becomes back to the technology point of Osam, which is super interesting. When the treasury department is backed and powered by proper data analysis tools and actually can extract the correct data from all the systems and all the subsidiaries, when done properly, treasury can be a strategic partner. Linking to my second points, cash management and cash flow forecasting are huge topics right now, especially because of the conditions and the environment we are evolving in that we touched upon earlier. But not only for the group treasurers, like CFOs are looking at cash flow forecasting. Okay, where is my cash? And what is going to happen in the next three months? Like, yeah, they are also responsible for the financial planning of the whole year. They're like, where is my cash? Where are we guys? Are we going to be able to pay everybody, pay our supplier, pay our staff? At the same time, we will receive money on time. If we have excess money, what do we do with it? It's super valuable right now. CFOs are looking into it, but also CEOs and boards. Like this is now a, a common report that needs to be brought up during board meetings. Like, guys, are we going to be able to pay dividends at the end of the year? What are our positive cash flows, if any? Where, where's the situation? And all this comes from the treasury department, which is super interesting because you get much more exposure, much more responsibilities, which means also much, much more pressure. But back to that treasury function is, is shifting. Maybe to make the link with Diglo here. At the end of the year, when you have a board looking at a financial statement that shows an FX loss of like high range of dozens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, that's as much cash that doesn't go in their pocket. Uh, guys, what is happening here? Oh yeah, that's usually the treasury function that is responsible for this, but they haven't been given the right tools to manage it. And this is where the technology comes in and the attention on the corporate treasury department comes in. Like we only see them when things go bad, but because things have been going bad for like the last three years now, it's like, okay, let's empower properly the treasury department. And uh, my third point, and it's more a personal one, but I, I, I need to put it out there. Treasury is so broad in terms of topics. It's so interesting. And when you go down the rabbit hole of anything, uh, it, it can be super, super interesting to get into all the integrity. We've like published 150 episodes plus right now, and we are definitely not running out of topics. As long as you like get into any details and uh, we want to ask you the question, obviously, actually, also on, on technology, because you've been developing a tool, right? So interested to have your take on it. But if you go just in the FX risk management part of things, like, there is so much to tell about that already. That's my main takeaways from 150 episodes plus. What do you, Sam? What about you? I, de I definitely think that the technology aspect is, is super, super interesting. So but when we, Guy and I started, we we sort of started looking into different companies and and, and who was doing stuff in treasury and what's going on and everything like that. And then exactly like I said, we saw one cash flow management tool, then we saw another one, then we saw another one. They're like, wait, what's different about these? And then we realized well, they all have their own unique customers because they all offer it in such a like niched specific way. This one is focused, you know, really on 
bringing in as many banking partners as they can. And it's really about consolidating your bank, um, your different bank accounts. And this other one is really about, you know, internationally looking at how your different markets are operating, your different currencies and this. One. So there's just so many niche scenarios out there or fringe cases that the main providers just can't support. So that's something that I find really, really interesting. The other one maybe is a little bit on the negative side and maybe more of a warning side is we, we were we started this sort of in the middle of the AI craze, right? And we just sort of saw that like everyone and their mother wanted to like implement an AI system all of a sudden uh, into everything that they do. And then, you know, like we, we saw some people trying to do it and they were really, they did, just didn't have the base infrastructure for it. And they just wanted to jump to the top of the technology curve by themselves. And it, it just, you know, and they, they fell flat very, very quickly. The ones that did it well either had a very strong internal department already and they just built on top onto the existing tool that they had, or they partnered with someone that could give them a ready-to-go solution, a, a turnkey solution that they could easily integrate in. So a software that had, let's say, uh, something at its core that had an AI solution into it, and then they were able to really extract the benefit of AI. And that was something that we really found really interesting was that and A, just how interested everyone was all of a sudden, but B, that the real solution was to partner with a company that was really doing it well already, not say, hey, look, I can go and integrate ChatGPT into my cash flow forecasting and it'll work great, right? So that, that it just, it's just wasn't how it was, how it was ever going to go. And so that was another thing that I think I picked up from our conversations. And the last one is, I mean, I'm my background was audit treasury. I was an, I've always been an engineer. The, the cash is king. I'd heard it before, but just seeing now and us being able to see just this huge advancement of money is expensive cash is expensive to get uh, we have these international companies that are doing all of these transactions all the different times how do we borrow and lend to ourselves instead of going externally by just managing our cash better and just how much that unlocks i find that very surprising yeah some incredible points there for me just to kind of uh, double down on on what he was talking about with regards to uh, FX losses. Um, obviously, that's something that I've been around for fifteen years, and it's always hindsight, right? It always comes out. Sometimes there's a there's a tax benefit of writing off some of these losses, and they do it all for for their for other reasons, etc. But the heart of it is is just mismanagement. Um, and one thing that you mentioned, Sam, as well, with regards to the actual you know, timing of these transactions, right? We're in a different world now and your low interest rate environment and your low hedging costs is gone and your changing hedging costs have to be taken into consideration. One of the things that I say to a lot of our clients that are, are hedging for the first time in a new market because they haven't been able to access that, it doesn't mean that they didn't want to hedge. Everyone wants to stabilize their profit margins or their, their returns to investors. Um, the truth is, is they didn't know how much it was going to cost them uh, or how much it will cost them. So I think it's really important that when people are looking at their hedging strategy that they've set up seven years ago, that it needs to evolve with the times and they need technology and there is technologies out there to help them do that. I think that's really, really important. Your your comments around AI are obviously very personal uh, to me. Um, when I set the company up uh, three and a half years ago, AI wasn't really being spoken about. We were utilizing machine learning technologies, Monte Carlo simulations, and utilizing new technologies to ultimately replicate these strategies and showcase how they were going to perform, right? But 
I always knew that it was going to be really tough to get even a treasury manager that's very sophisticated about their FX to one, understand these tools or power these tools themselves. So the birth of AI and being able to interact with these tools in a completely new way um, is so exciting for us because you can go as complicated as you want on the back end. But as long as you are asking good quality questions, giving it good quality data, you will be able to ultimately interact with it and get what you need out of it, get the insights that you need out of it. And I think that for me is where technology and people come together and why, in my opinion, everyone should be embracing some form of AI in their um, in their work life because it really is that kind of 24-7 assistant that you've always wanted to be able to sanity check some of the ideas that you have. And you know, this is coming from someone that when I started in the industry, I was 22 years old and not one single CFO would take me seriously, right? So uh, there's only so many times you can call up a very seasoned treasury person and say that you can actually do this better than them. And there's egos involved. And, you know, the truth is everyone comes from a different situation. Everyone does have a niche set of problems and niche set of skill sets that dovetail well with all those problems. But I think where I'm seeing these, this uh, technology uh, being used and adopted quickly is for those that understand that they have a problem, that they're in a new environment and they do need help but they're not really ready to kind of bring in a consultant to kind of help them. So I think that kind of interesting gateway to to that will be this technology AI layer. Guys, this is a really fun episode. Uh, we covered a lot of it off. Why don't you just break down where the, the listeners can uh, find you, uh, your newsletters, your podcasts, et cetera. I think that'd be really helpful. Absolutely. And let me start by saying that, actually, that was our first experience as being the interviewee. And I personally had a blast. Um, We're sitting in the same room right now with Sam, but loved it. So thank you so much. Um, Yeah. And so if people would like to know more about corporate treasury, which is a bit different than all the things we touched upon in this podcast, but they can go on our website, corporate-treasury-101.com or even corporate-treasury101.com will work. um, And they can find everything we do there, our articles and other podcast episodes and the, and the newsletter that you just, just touched upon. And if they want to reach out, probably the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, we'll send you our, our profile, but you can say Um they can just reach out to us on LinkedIn, happy to have a chat, happy to talk. And if they have interesting proprietary insights, happy to host them on the podcast. Perfect. Thanks very much, gents. So there you have it. A big thank you to Guy and Hassan for their valuable insights into the current state and the ever-changing role of corporate treasury. I especially valued their insights into the importance of cash management in the current industry, the development of technology stack, and how treasurers can have a strategic impact inside corporations. I'm excited to see how their platform grows, and you should definitely check out their podcast, Corporate Treasury 101. Details in the comments below. Thank you for listening.